where are we headed in 2024 when it comes to the housing market, when it comes to mortgage rates, number of sales? Well, that's exactly what we're going to discuss in today's episode, the question that everybody wants to know. So Josh and I are going to use our expertise of reading and analyzing data to give you our thoughts on a 2024 housing market forecast. This is the Educated Home Buyer. Everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. But Josh, let's make it really simple. Where are things headed in 2024? Let me grab the crystal ball and tell you exactly what is going to happen. Well, actually, that is not what we're going to do for you guys today. What we want to do is pull back the curtain and show you what our research looks like. And you say research, what are you researching? Why are you researching it? Well, Jeb and I are mortgage and real estate professionals. Our income, our livelihood depends on successfully advising clients, but also seeing what is likely to happen for the industry and for our businesses. And we can therefore react appropriately in terms of marketing, in terms of products that we have to offer on the mortgage side. So that's really what this is. We've done this for years. This is the start of the third year here, Jeb, with the podcast. Actually, February will be the second anniversary, but the start of the third year of doing this. So really our second time of doing this on the podcast, but I know you do this and have forever. I have done this forever. You, yeah, you unfortunately, sit. there's some videos out there dating back to like 2012 that support exactly what you're saying that I used to do and uh, nobody should go watch them. But this is something, yeah, like Josh says, we do every single year. And notice Josh didn't say that we do this so that we can make money off of them. We're not here just saying, hey, this is going to happen so that we can benefit financially. It's, hey, this is what we believe is going to happen so that we can give the the right advice to our clients so that they can make the best decisions for themselves or not make a decision for themselves based off of what we're going to to be talking about. And Jeb, before we jump into it, what I like to say, this time of year, you're gonna see lots of forecasts. You can Google it, you can find 20 different forecasts for interest rates, home prices, home values, all of that stuff. How do you analyze, is this a good and valid opinion? First of all, do I know who the person is? Have I followed them for a period of time so that I can know how their opinions change, how they align with actual market performance? But most importantly, what data are they relying on? What underlying numbers? What is their reason for believing what they believe is going to happen. So that's important when you're looking at us, when you're looking at anyone else's opinion. I don't expect anyone to watch this video and go, cool, I know what's going to happen in 2024. Uh, I think this is a really good video that is going to walk you through what is likely to happen. And if something deviates, either better or worse, what was likely to cause it? We'll always have black swan events. And that's also one of my favorite things, Jeb. We hear people, what black swans could happen in 2024? Well, if you can project them, if you can foresee them, they are by definition, not black swans. So what we'll be talking about, what are the things that are potentially foreseeable that could make things better or worse than what our base case here, our base expectation for what should happen over the next 12 months? And just for full transparency, Josh and I have been wrong in forecasts before mortgage rates. I think most people got mortgage rates wrong because of where they thought the economy was headed, what the Fed was likely to do sooner than later, just some different variations of things around rates. And therefore, we've been wrong. So had you just taken our word and ran with that, you would have been probably surprised towards the end of 2022, even in parts of 2023. So just know it's based off where data is right now, where we see data going. And, and when we make these, these forecasts, they're 
simply that they're a forecast. It's just our opinion based off of what we're analyzing at that time. So Jim, we talk about this a lot. Real estate is basic economics, supply and demand. When we have more supply, when there are more sellers, either because they all want to sell or choosing to sell, or they're forced to sell, like we saw in 2007, 2008, distressed sales, homes underwater, people couldn't afford their mortgages, exploding adjustable rates, um, brings a lot of forced sales to the market. So increasing supply can overwhelm demand. We can also have a period where decreased demand doesn't meet the available supply. We have seen over the last year and a half, sort of a reaction that a lot of people didn't expect in the market. We have reduced demand because we have less people who are able to qualify. And even of those who are able to qualify, we have less of them willing to step in at current prices, payments, and, and make that decision. But that's also been met with record levels of low supply in terms of inventory, sellers willing to sell. We've had virtually zero distress, no one forced to sell, and very few people willing to sell because they bought at much more attractive prices. They locked in 30-year fixed interest rates. That's a feature of the U.S. home market that really isn't anywhere else in the world. Every other market around the world has some form of variable rate, a fixed period into an adjustable, adjustable from day one. So homeowners have been insulated from the spike in interest rates, insulated from the spike in home prices. So the 65% of American households who own have said, we're just going to post up. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. So what we're going to look at today, Jeb, is what are the factors that are going to impact both willing and able demand, people who can buy, and supply of sellers willing to put their homes on the market and bring additional inventory for sale. No, and I think that's one thing that people were very surprised by. I'm just going to say it in a little bit different way is that we saw rates the highest level in 23 years, but yet we saw price stability in 2023. I think most people didn't didn't pick that. If, if you would have said rates are going to 8%, most people are going to say, okay, prices have to drop and primarily due to affordability, right? I mean, we know on any given year, you're going to have at least 4 million transactions, right? Even in the worst of years, you're going to be close to 4 million transactions. So that's kind of the bottom. And that's more or less what we saw this year. I think we're going to end the year somewhere around 3.79, 3.8. Well, Jeb, that's the seasonally annualized adjusted rate, but the actual number for the end of the year, they're forecasting 4.12 and we're in December. It's going to end up pretty close to that. It'll end up north of 4 million sales. Do us a favor. If you find any value in the podcast, hit that thumbs up. And also, if you want to stay updated on everything that's happening in the housing market, from mortgage rates to different loan programs to forecast to talking with experts, do us a favor and hit that subscribe button as well. So you're going to be right at 4 million transactions. So even in the worst of markets, you're going to see that 4 million. So the question is, what do we see in 2024 when it comes to transactions? What do we see for rates? What do we see for home prices? That's really what we're going to talk about today, Josh. And I think part of that is understanding affordability. So what determines affordability? What impacts affordability? Largely is going to determine what happens in, in the housing market in 2024. Jeb, every year when I'm doing my annual review in December, planning for the next year, a thing that I like to do is pick a word or a phrase, a theme for the year. And as we were going through this, in terms of a forecast, in terms of both of our jobs, of, of how much business there is out there to be had, the, the word is affordability. Affordability is going to determine how many buyers are able to buy and of those that are able and qualified will choose to buy. But more importantly, 
the supply of homes they have to choose from will be dictated by affordability. So you recently went through this experience and gave up a very low rate on a nice home to get a larger home for your growing family. There will hopefully be more people making that decision in the next year. And that's kind of what we're going to go through. So affordability is going to dictate how many sellers bring their homes to market and become buyers, how many first-time buyers are willing and able to step in and qualify. So the three things that you correctly mentioned, there's really only three things that can move the needle in terms of affordability. So we have wages, Wages over time generally increase. It improves affordability. Interest rates can go up or down. Obviously, they go up, it decreases affordability. If they come down, it's going to increase affordability. As you guys are going to see, rates have been coming down. Our expectation is they will continue to come down throughout the remainder of the year. So wages likely to go up, interest rates likely to come down. So it's better for affordability. The last piece is home prices. So when we look at this, Jeb, we see record low levels of affordability. Everyone keeps saying home prices have to come down because these are unaffordable. They don't have to be affordable to everyone. They have to be affordable to enough people that there's enough demand for the supply of homes uh, available. So that really, when we're forecasting for the next year, what's likely to happen, those are the big things we're going to be looking at. Well, let's start. Let's start by talking about wages because wages is one leg of the stool. And if you if you ever get really bored and decide to read comments on YouTube videos outside of bashing your head against the wall, you'll read some just ridiculous comments. And part of them are around wages. My wages haven't grown in years. Wages haven't kept up with home prices in the last five years. Therefore, all of this has to happen. No, no, that's not not exactly how it works. But with that, Josh, wages are one leg of the stool. Let's talk a little bit about what's happened in 2023. Then we can talk about expectations for 2024 when it comes to wages and how that impacts the affordability scale. Well, let's talk about 2022 to set the stage and give us some contrast for what happened in 23 and what's likely to happen in 2024. So in 2022, we had wage inflation. So wages went up, but that was the year that we saw this brief but major spike in inflation. So if you make four and a half percent more than the year before, but the prices of everything went up six and a half percent, you lost 2% of your purchasing power in real terms. So 2023 was a return to kind of normal, good news for employees, for workers, because we saw a 4.4% increase in wages as reported by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And currently we're seeing 3.1% rate of inflation. So 1.3% uh, real increase in your purchasing power for the average homeowner who buys the average basket of goods that is captured in CPI. Now, more importantly, what are we expecting for 2022? So this isn't actual real data, but the Bureau of Labor Statistics goes to those same employers, surveys them, and says, what do you expect for 2024? Well, they expect 4.0% wage increases. So you go, well, that's not good. We went from 4.4 to 4.0. But as you're going to see, when we go through inflation expectations, pretty much across the board, everyone that is projecting is believing that we're going to see inflation much lower. So instead of 3.1, let's say it only gets to 2.5. The, the Fed's preferred number is 2%. Right. Say it gets halfway there in the next year. 2.5% gives you a 1.5% real wage increase this year. So most wage earners are going to see more purchasing power increase 
2024 than they have definitely over 2022, but even over 2023, which was a pretty good year in that regard. Yeah. And then something you mentioned there, that's if inflation's at two and a half percent, if it gets to 2.1, which is where I think it could be as early as April, then you're talking close to 2% in real wage increases. So there's an opportunity there to see a higher number. On the flip side, there's an opportunity to see a lower number too if things go the other direction. So we'll talk about that a little bit when we talk about inflation. But the second leg of that stool, Josh, is interest rates. I think this is probably the one that that impacts people more so than anything else for one, because not only does it impact the mortgage, it impacts credit cards and student loans and any short-term interest rates to some degree. But rates. Let's talk about what, what what's happened over the last year, year and a half, and then what's likely to go forward. I, me and you haven't really had this conversation. And in fact, I think the listener should know that going into this forecast, we have an outline, but we haven't really discussed our thoughts on some of these things. So we're going to be discussing them right here on the air on, on where we see prices, rates, transactions, all of this stuff as you're listening to it. So Josh, rates back in 2021, the key driver in why we saw appreciation, multiple offers, home prices go through the roof is largely due to where rates were. On average, we were sitting at what, 2.76% in the start of January? Yeah. So for those that bought in 2020, 21, those were the good old days. So what do the good or old days look like to give us context here? So as you said, started the year at 2.76. The low for the year was 2.75 later in January, reached highs in March. So we went from January to March. People forget that the expectation was, hey, we were past this period of ultra low interest rates. What is the new normal in terms of low interest rates? The expectation was we would still be low, just not crazy low. Well, we peaked at 3.45 a couple times in March and then decreased Ooh. down to, to 3.27 for the rest of the year. So the thing that I like to look at that, the range from high to low was 0.69%, less than three quarters of a percent. 69%. You know, if, if you locked on the best day of the year versus locking on the worst day of the year, that's a pretty narrow range, less than three quarters of a percent. So 2022 said, all right, guys, that was boring. That was boring. Let's step in here. So we started the year at 3.29%. We peaked in October. So basically a straight line up. There wasn't a whole lot of relief. Peaked at 7.37%. That is a 4% increase. We started at 3.28, more than doubled, increasing 4.08%, and then saw a little bit of relief towards the end of the year down to 6.54. So a 0.83% decrease over the last two months of the year, which was a bigger range in the last two months of 2022 than we saw in all of 2021. So I don't even really call it volatility because it was essentially a straight line up with a little bit of relief towards the end of the year. So now when we look at 2023, what happened? We started the year at 6.45%, looked like we were going to continue to see more relief and we were at 5.99%. So essentially 6% down almost one and a half percent from the prior August. And that was in line with everyone's expectations as inflation was moderating mm -hmm. and continued to moderate for most of the year. A couple little blips in there, but continued to moderate. But what we saw is by April, started the second quarter was a 6.44, started the third quarter, 7.03. October started the fourth quarter there at 7.61. And October 19th, literally almost a year and one day after the 2022 peak, we hit the 2023 peak at 8.03%. And now we saw a repeat here, big moderation down mm -hmm. to 6.66%. So the range for the year has only been 2%, Jeb. It's way better. We've seen half of the range that we saw last year, but a lot of the same numbers in there in terms of just take that bottom half of that range off. 
So 5.99 on the low point to 8% and we're sitting about 6.66. And that's all these numbers, Jeb, are mortgage news daily. That's probably the best available number that you can look at on a daily basis. They're pretty darn accurate. So it gives us a good look at where 30 year fixed conventional mortgage interest rates are for well-qualified borrowers. Yeah, it's actually surprising to kind of look at it that way in that context, because it feels like there was a larger move than 2% this past year. It just feels different in what happened this year because it wasn't a straight line up. We saw that volatility, that up and down movement. We did see inflation come down. At the same time, we saw the Fed hike the Fed funds rate over the course of that period of time. So where do we start in 2024? We were at four and a half? Somewhere in that range. I think we had, what, three hikes. So I think that's right. We only had three hikes in 2023? Three or four. Uh, there were so many that I'm punch drunk. PTSD, I don't remember them all. I know we haven't hiked since June. So the last three we haven't hiked, but yeah, I'm drawing a blank. I actually don't even know. But with that, current F Fed funds rate today sitting between five and a quarter and five and a half percent with the likelihood of Fed rate cuts coming. So the Fed, based off their own dot plots, are looking somewhere around three rate cuts. The consensus for interest rate traders out there is somewhere around one and a half percent. But let's talk about restrictive policy, Josh, and why the Fed is likely to lean more towards the aggressive side of that versus the three cuts, or at least my opinion, because of how restrictive it's going to be based off where inflation is versus the Fed funds rate. So we've talked before, the Fed preferred measure is core PCE, but the big headline back in 2022 was headline CPI hit over 9%. That was why the Fed was hiking aggressively. They had got way behind the curve. They're hiking meeting after meeting, several meetings, more than a quarter of a percent. Uh, and what they were trying to get to was a positive real Fed funds rate. So again, we talk about what is the number less inflation. So at that time that we hit 9%, I believe they were still in the threes. So we had negative 6% Fed funds rate in, in real terms. That doesn't work. That's very accommodative. So what happened, uh, inflation is trending down and we're going to look at that while the Fed is hiking and they met in the middle early part of this year as those numbers moderated. But when you look at that, where are we right now? If we go back and we say that same CPI figure says 3.1% right now, and we've got Fed funds at five and a half, we have a positive 2.4%. And we're saying that we think inflation is going to drop to two and a half. 2% possibly. There are professionals that really follow this stuff that think that we're going to be under 2% in the next year. So we're likely to go a percent lower. Positive 2.5% Fed funds rate is way too high. And if inflation goes lower, now it's three, three and a half, you know, three and but, three but quarters. Why? So why, why is it too high? What is too high? Too high to who? too high to markets. The cost of money is too expensive. That is much too high to have a neutral impact on the economy. It is not stimulative. So when you have a negative 6%, everyone would borrow. If you said, hey, negative 6% real cost of funds in terms of inflation, you would borrow as much as possible and invest in anything because inflation is going to make you a great return. Inflation is now moderated. So you need a real Fed funds rate somewhere in the ballpark of the rate of inflation. Now, right now, they still don't want to be stimulative. They don't want to boost the economy. The jobs market, unemployment is a little bit lower than where they want it, but they don't want to be at a, a positive 3% Fed funds rate. They want to get that in the one and a half percent range, and they don't know exactly where inflation is going, so they will slowly start ticking away. So we looked at those two measures, Jeb, 
They tell us four times a year after one of the Fed meetings each quarter, they tell us what their expectations are. So we saw that at the end of the third quarter and they were like, yeah, we're hardly even gonna cut next year. The second half of 2024, we might get two cuts. Well, now a few months later, they go, we're gonna see three cuts for a total of three quarters. So three quarter point cuts for a total of three quarters ending the year in that four and a half to four, seven, five range. They said, we see four cuts in 2025 ending the year in the three and a half to three, seven, five range. And then in 2026, they see three more quarter percent cuts ending at a two, seven, five to 3% end of year Fed funds rate. And that is with them believing they will achieve their inflation goal of somewhere around 2%. So two, seven, five, 3% minus 2%, somewhere in that 1% real Fed funds rate. So that is what they see as neutral. They're not putting the brake on the economy. They're not necessarily stimulating the economy. So that will be determined by where inflation goes, the rate of inflation. So flip back and say, that's what the Fed themselves are saying. But we also have the Fed funds futures market. So investors in the futures markets can bet on this. They can make wagers. So they are projecting six quarter point cuts next year. So two times the number of cuts, three more quarter point cuts for double the, the amount of cuts. And I think that is more likely to happen. The futures market could possibly be a little bit ahead of themselves. They're expecting uh, the first cut in March. That may or may not happen. But Jeb, we're going to transition right into that inflation data. And why don't you tell us what's going to happen over the next 90 days in terms of inflation that is very likely to have the Fed feeling in March that they have leeway to start the, their cutting? Yeah, I, I think it's important when you start talking about inflation to understand how they calculate inflation. So what they do is they have month over month numbers of inflation. They add those up over a 12-month period of time. Whatever that number comes out to is essentially where inflation is sitting. And so what happens in January, we're going to get December's inflation number. But that means December of 2022 is falling off, and you're adding the December number for 2023. Well, what happens is we're currently sitting at 3.1%. Now, December is a low number. I think it's at 0.1%. So if we got another 0.1% when it comes out in January, inflation is going to stay at 3.1%. You're not going to see a, a big move in inflation. But what's starting to happen in, in January is, is you have some large numbers that are going to be coming off. They're going to be replaced with smaller numbers. And so you have a 0.5, I believe, in January, a 0.4 in February, a 0.1 in March, which is kind of insignificant. But then you have another 0.4% in April. So in the first four months of 2023, or really three of those four months, you have 1.3% of the total 3.1% inflation made up in those three months. And if we look back over what's happened over the last three months with regards to month over month numbers, you have most of those numbers coming in at 0.1%. You have 0.1, 0.1, and a 0, .0 right? So flat in that month. So if you have 0.1% replacing the numbers that were there, you're replacing 1.3% with 0.3. So that means inflation is going to drop by 1%. So you're going to go from a 3.1% inflation number to somewhere around 2.1% by the end of April. So you're going to be really, really close to the Fed's target, assuming inflation continues to do what it's done over the last couple of months. And we know there are some things that are factoring in that are showing numbers higher than what they should be reporting. They're lagging indicators. So as those lagging indicators start to reflect more of what's happening in the market, Josh, there's an opportunity. You see zeros on there, right? And, and, and that inflation number is at 2% by April. So if it's at 2% by April, 
And the Fed funds rate at that time is five and a half or five and a quarter or whatever percent. You got 3.25% positive. I mean, that's a big, big number. That leads me to believe that the Fed has to get more aggressive next year and probably cut closer to the six than the three times. Otherwise, the policy is just going to be way too restrictive for the U.S. economy. The last thing you said is the most important part. The Fed is not cutting next year to stimulate the economy. They're cutting to take away some of the restriction. So if they're overly restrictive, they're likely to get a hard landing. They're likely to get a recession. They are still hoping to avoid that. 50-50 at best that they will be able to, but if you don't start cutting, you are going to cause the recession that you so badly want to avoid. Jeb, I'd like to throw some additional numbers in here. We mentioned at the top of the show, don't take our word for it. Find two, three, four, five professionals, five sources that you like to follow that you can trust and you also know their biases and where they err over time. But in that regard, I also like to look at the wisdom of crowds. There's big surveys of large numbers of economists and and we can see where they're converging at. So the Survey of Professional Forecasters predicts a 2.5% core CPI and 2.4% core PCE for the entire year of 2024. The Wall Street Journal has similar results. Statista says inflation will be 2.3% next year, dropping to 2.1 in 2025 and 2.0 in 2026. Morningstar projects inflation will be 1.8% from 24 to 27, below the Fed's 2% inflation target. And that one, Jeb, is really important. I'm not saying they are right, but I would err towards that side. You probably get tired of me talking about my best friend in the world, Lacey Hunt. Lacey has said that the disinflationary trend is not going away. We had a blip due to COVID, due to stimulus, due to supply chain issues. And when that comes back into play, we're going to go back to 2020, 2019, where the Fed was saying we need to get inflation up to that 2% level. So uh, people that are sitting here going, oh, prices are still crazy, inflation's out of control, you guys are nuts. You have to look at how the numbers are actually measured, what impacts it and what is likely to happen. Inflation is absolutely moderating and it is going to lead to lower interest rates. The only question is how much lower. If you're looking to purchase a home in 2024 and you're not really sure where to start, but you want to talk to an expert, somebody that can guide you through that process from A to Z, we created a link in the description below of experts, whether it be on the mortgage side, the real estate side, that can really hold your hand, explain everything to you in a way that we do here on the podcast. So if that interests you at all, do us a favor and check that link in the description below. And something I always like to point out, just because inflation's coming down doesn't mean the prices are going to come down. The prices are going to remain where they are in most cases. Inflation is completely separate from high prices. Just understand that. So even though inflation is going to come, it's still not going to feel like your pocketbook is getting any better. It's still going to feel tight in many instances out there because that price is likely to stay pretty sticky to the high side. With that, Josh, rates. Let's talk about rate forecasts. So we see inflation moderating. We see wage growth increasing. And if inflation numbers get down to what we said, 2.12% by April, you're going to see more of that wage growth that we talked about earlier. But how do those impact rates? Where do you see rates going? What are the things that we can measure that are likely to trickle through to mortgage rates? So we've had some guests on here recently. We're going to trigger one of them because he chastised us and told us to stop worrying about the spreads between treasuries and mortgages, but we're going to talk about it regardless. But with that, 
our guest this week, Logan Mojashami, has a model that says, until we see the jobs economy, until we see unemployment tick up significantly, we are unlikely to get a 10 year below three and a quarter. Today, we just dropped below 3.8, we're at 3.79. Six, eight weeks ago, we were at 5.0 for about five minutes before we started the descent. But 3.79 to three and a quarter, very reasonable to expect that to happen over the next year. If the economy weakens, if the jobs market weakens, we see unemployment go up, we could absolutely go below that. If you look back to pre-COVID 2018, 2019, 275, three, three and a quarter are not uh, ridiculous numbers on the 10-year treasury when you have inflation in the ballpark of 2%. So I, I think the high that you would be looking at is about 4% on the 10-year. Your low is probably 2.75. That's you get some serious weakening in the economy. But I think a base case would be that we trend down towards three and a quarter. So you go, Josh, I'm not buying treasuries. Why are you talking about treasury yields? I want to know what's going to happen with mortgage rates. Well, over the last 40 something years, the spread between treasuries and mortgages has been about 1.7%. As we saw rates spike, lots of volatility, lots of concern and worry uh, about mortgages. We've seen those spreads blow out to over 3%. We're back under 3% right now, but we still have a long ways to go. So if treasury yields didn't come down at all, from the current 3.79, call it 3.80, and those spreads dropped into that 2.5% range, that puts us at 6.3. That puts us a good bit lower than where we're at. I do believe those spreads are going to moderate. As treasury yields come down, what happens is investors, hedge funds, pension funds, they want yield. The next safest investment you can get in fixed income is mortgages behind treasuries. So what you will see is they are going to follow. Those spreads are going to narrow. Do we get back to 1.7 this year? I don't know. It's probably doubtful, but is 2.5 a reasonable number? So Jeb, you take that three and a quarter on a 10-year treasury by the end of the year, spreads moderating down to about two and a half, get you 5.75. I don't think 5.75 is aggressive. We've had several guests on that are like, hey, we could see a five handle by the end of the year. We could see a five handle by June. And by no means is that our best case. Let's say you get that 10 year down to 2.75 because the economy is weakening. The spreads start narrowing as investors chase yield and they get comfortable that the housing market is not going to experience the issues that people thought. And you see that spread down to two and a quarter. You get a 275 and a two and a quarter, you're down 5%, 4.99. So I think very high fours is our best case for the year. Mid to high fives is likely by mid end of year. And your worst case is really somewhere where we're at right now, slightly better than that, six to six and a half percent. But I just don't see that happening. It's like we've become so jaded over the last two years, or I guess I should say numb, not jaded, just numb to these high interest rates. You're like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Six and a half is pretty good. Well, we look historically over the last 30 years, even prior to post 2000, that 5% interest rate is a pretty normal rate for the market and something that we will be trending towards. It's just a matter of does it happen here in 2024. No, and with that, Josh, you got Moody's projecting somewhere between six and a six and a quarter percent. Fannie Mae saying six and a half percent by the end of year. Mortgage Bankers Association six point one. National Association of Realtors six percent. 
Zillow, where is Zillow sitting at the moment? I didn't get it. Um, some of them haven't trickled in yet, but some of these forecasts, Jeb, we already had to throw them out. There are several forecasters that towards the end of the year adjusted. So think about this. These are all conservative, and there's a reason for that. They've all been burned so badly. Most of them do quarterly forecasts. They revise their forecasts quarterly. And over the last two years, they've been wrong, saying rates are going to come down, rates are going to come down, rates are going to come down. And they have not. So they've all gotten incredibly conservative. Well, I didn't put three, four, five different forecasts from reputable organizations that are saying seven to seven and a half for all of 2024. And you're like, we're a half percent below that today. So do you think we're going to shoot back up once we get into the first of the year, when we start seeing the inflation numbers moderating, like Jeb's talking about, when we start seeing continued, not necessarily recessionary signs, but slowing in the economy? It's very unlikely that that would, would be the case. So when we see these numbers, that six to six and a half, I think that is close to a, a worst case absent a true black swan where we see energy prices shoot up, where we see some of these global conflicts cause problems, where we saw inflation spike sort of at the beginning of the issues in Ukraine. Something that, that is not even on our radar right now that we can't foresee could absolutely take rates back to 8%, but nothing that's projectable on the horizon would tell us that's going to happen. Yeah. And, and with that, Josh, I think five and a half is a reasonable number. It's kind of my projection for 2024. I think we could see five and a half percent at some point, but I think for the better part of the year you see interest rates trade between probably six and six and a half percent would be my guess just based off where things are at the moment i think in order to see rates lower than five and a half percent you need the economy to stall more than i think the indicators are leaning towards at the moment which would mean a worsening economy the fed has to get more reactive with fed policy quicker than originally thought, which in turn could lead to lower rates. I'm kind of in the camp at the moment. I thought we would see a recession in 2023, just based off a lot of the data that was out there. I thought employment would be worse. We didn't see that. I think 2024, I think there's an opportunity just based off where employment is at the moment that you see that softer landing in the economy, unless things get significantly worse. And if you see the softer landing in the economy and the Fed is able to reduce the Fed funds rate at a kind of a more leisurely pace. Rates are going to stay a little bit higher than I think than we want to see them. But if something happens and they have to pull the trigger quicker, then you see rates move more aggressively towards the downside. Just kind of my thoughts. So Jeb, I, I wish I had the chart here it popped up a week or two ago, but they can track in words and phrases in the media around certain times. And every time we've headed into a recession, about soft three to landing. six months prior to that, soft landing spikes. Yeah. So we're hearing soft landing, soft landing, soft landing. I will push back on that. If we don't get a recession, we are going to get a minor recession. If we get a recession, this isn't a gnarly, terrible, awful recession. And if we don't get it, we are going to get close to zero percent growth. So recession has traditionally been defined, although it changes over time, as two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. We're going to get down to negative 0.5 to positive 0.5. Either way, you cut it, the economy is slow. But push that all aside. You said, hey, we're going to see rates in that six, six and a half percent range for the majority of the year. You personally just went through the numbers for us six minutes ago and said 
that in 90 days, 100 days, we're going to see inflation close to 2%. I believe that is going to happen. And I believe that is going to force the Fed's hand. They're going to cut sooner. Yields on all sorts of fixed income investments are going to drop. And we're going to be in the high five, very low 6% range by Q2 of this year. There's a guarantee. Do I have a crystal ball? We let off the show that I do not. But just in seeing what I'm looking at, we're there. So you may be more aggressive where we end the year, but I think we get there a little bit faster than what you're thinking. I, I think I've been beaten too many times, so I'm shy to, to call out the actual number. Now, I think I, should, I need to go back and explain. When I say soft landing, I don't mean that there can't be a recession, okay? I do believe that we're probably going to have a recession. I just don't see this big recession happening, the hard landing recession. I do see a slight recession. And to me, that is a soft landing based off where I thought we would probably head originally. So just to be clear there in full transparency. So we're talking about the so, same thing. So from there, Jeb, I, I got to talk about interest rates and all the fun stuff on the mortgage side. We talked about wages, the, the, the three-legged stool of affordability, wages, interest rates, home prices. So let's talk about if we believe wages are going to go up on nominal and real basis. If we believe interest rates are going to go down, both of those improve affordability. What does that mean for home sales? And then we can close out. What does that mean for home prices in 2024? So I'm in the camp that home sales are going to increase like a lot of other people, but I don't believe we're going to see the jump that a lot of people think we're going to see personally. So let's just call it 4 million home sales this year. You know, I say that there's an opportunity for a 10% increase. I think we could go somewhere between four, two, four, four, somewhere in that ballpark, maybe even high is four or five. I think that's really high personally. I just don't know where inventory is going to come from. I think affordability is still a problem. Even if rates come down, wages go up, it is still a bigger problem with the number of able buyers out there in the market because of where prices are going to be. And we'll talk about that, that we can't see this huge jump in transactions. I, I just don't see it. Let's, I don't know where well, it comes from. Let's look at where your projection falls in with the, the so-called experts. So yep. Redfin's projecting 4.3 million. We're likely to hit 4.1 million, 4.12 for this year. Last year, they projected 4.3. They're projecting 4.3 again. The National Association of Realtors last year projected 4.78, going to 4.72 this year. So Redfin is a little bit less than maybe what you're thinking. NAR is a little bit more. MBA is at 4.375. Last year, they projected 4.51. And then I had a couple notes in here that I actually left in from last year's forecast. First American Research says rates need to be near 7% to push sales to 4 million. So meaning push sales down. We saw rates go to 8% and we stuck at 4.12. And then I had a note in here, home sales have fallen under 4 million only two times since 1996. That was 2008, 2010. And it looks like we're going to avoid that, but we're going to be pretty darn close to it. So what does that tell you in terms of where the experts are? And if you were to put your finger on a number, where do you think home sales in the year? I think Redfin is closer to the number personally. I think 4.3 is a, a reasonable number. I think transactions are going to increase, but it's not going to be what people are hoping for unless rates go considerably lower than what we're talking about. If rates can get down 5% for the better part of the year, then number of transactions, then throw everything out the window with regards to what we just said. If rates stay 6%-ish, somewhere in that ballpark, 5.99, for the better part of the year, which is what I think is reasonable, the number of transaction is less than what a lot of people are calling for. And, and if you're pushing me on it, Redfin at 4.3, MBA at 4.375, 
I think four four. I'll be the aggressive one here because I think I rates think get, low, get lower faster. I, I would say about four four. And think about that in real terms, Jeb. If we're at four point one two, going to four four, it's three hundred. It's less than a ten percent increase off of ultra low levels. So if any of you are watching at home, going, "Oh, these guys are in the industry. They're bullish. They want things to be really good." That's not a great year. A good year in the industry is five million sales. A really good year, <laughs> COVID years, at like six million. So six definitely, it, we're way way off those levels under what Jeb and I would consider likely case or even best case scenario. And, so, and if I remember correctly, I think Lawrence Yoon uh, National Association of Realtors was calling like four seven something somewhere in that ballpark too. We didn't put the number in there, but I think it's, it's there four seven it? two. Okay, well there you go. So somewhere in that ballpark. So I, I think we're going to be less than what some of the experts are forecasting out there. So we will see. So Josh, how does that lead into home prices? I think is what people really want to know. I think people were surprised by seeing price stability in the market with interest rates at 8%. So if you saw price stability, I'm using nationwide as a whole here, right? Some markets, local saw price decrease and, and understand real estate's local, but nationwide, you saw price stability with rates at 8%. So as rates come down, further price stability in the sense that that keeps prices from going down. And I think you probably, again, I think a lot of experts out there calling increases anywhere between three to 10%, depending on who you look at. But I think we see three to 5% appreciation in home prices nationwide, just based off of what's happening out there. And I think you're limited in how much home prices can increase because I think you're limited in supply. I think you're limited in inventory. I see a recipe for inventory shortages, inventory problems nationwide because people being locked into low rates, people not willing to trade those rates. Anybody that's a seller is likely a buyer, so you don't have a net increase in inventory. Building isn't going to have a meaningful impact in, in the number of homes coming to the market. Inventory remains the story as it has for the better part of three to four years since we talked about this from the very beginning. Inventory is the problem. Rates are a problem. Inventory is a bigger problem because inventory, you had more inventory, you could see prices go down. And the reality is you don't, and there's not a, a reason for inventory to increase in any big way, which limits price growth. I am projecting a bad thing for home prices Ooh. next year, Jeb. And that bad thing is more appreciation than what you expect. And let me tell you where I'm going with this. We saw whether you want to look at Black Knight, FHFA, CoreLogic, any of the respected numbers, we're going to end up plus or minus 5% appreciation, if not a little bit higher this year. That's with rates trending up year long, all the way up to a peak at 8%. So if we have that, and we're expecting rates to be 25% lower than that for the majority of next year, with the possibility of them going even lower, I do not see how appreciation isn't above that. Now, if we say, what, how do you make a case for it? You say, hey, more people are willing to sell at those lower interest rates, so there's more supply for those folks to buy. And the reason why I say me projecting 5% appreciation for next year is a bad thing is it is a bad thing. When we have years of above trend growth, we've talked about a million times on the show, Jeb, long-term US home price appreciation is above the rate of inflation. So you have real home price growth on average going back 50, 60 years. So 4%, 4.5%, if you're in Southern California, close to 7%. We've seen numbers much, much higher than that over the last four or five years, even with 
the 5% that we're, we're seeing this year. So it is a problem. We need many years going forward of zero to 3% growth to really make that affordability moderate. We don't have the supply to make that happen. So I fear, I'm not hoping, I am fearing that we will see another 5% uh, appreciation. So sort of Jeb, kind of in line with your expectations, Pulsonomics and Fannie Mae uh, does a home price expectation survey. They just released the numbers today. So over 100 housing experts across the industry, and they are expecting for 2024, 2.4%, right in line with Jeb. For 2025, they're expecting 2.7%. For 2026, they expect it's going to tick up at 3.7. And I would suppose that that is because, again, moderate inflation, continued wage growth, moderating interest rates gives a little more headroom for prices to go up. Now, the important part, Jeb, here, they also throw out a number of their mean expectation, so their average expectation over the 2023 to 2028 timeframe. The 100 plus experts, all experts included, are projecting 25% home price appreciation over the next five years. The most optimistic 25% of those 100 are at 40%. Let's pray to God those people are wrong. I do not want to live in a world with home prices 40% higher than they are right now. I think for our discussion here, probably the most valuable number that we can point to is the most pessimistic quartile. The people that are the Debbie Downers, the, the people that are dragging the room down with their negative energy, they project 10% growth over the next five years. So that's a little bit less than 2% every year because in aggregate, that will get you 10%. So when you're seeing um, people making fancy videos, cherry picking one piece of data and telling you that all of the Airbnb sellers or some other insane piece of manipulated data is going to crash the market, Think about that. So just just a group of experts. Again, I do rely heavily on the wisdom of crowds. It doesn't mean that that crowd is right. They could all be biased in a direction or a similar direction. But dig into the data. So kind of circling back, Jeb, don't take our word for it. We're going to put some links in here, a lot of good links to a lot of the things that we read, that we looked at. A lot of these organizations don't put out their forecast until the very first part of January. Dig into it. Look at it. Look at the data and find out not just what they're saying, but why they believe it. And then figure for yourself, what do you believe? What do you think is going to happen? What does that mean is right for you and your family with housing-related decisions in the next year? Yeah. And while you're doing that, let us know in the comments below. Where do you think housing is headed? Where are interest rates going to peak? How low could you see them go? What's that going to do to the number of transactions, to inventory? Let us know in the comments. And then also, we just did some interviews, Josh, that I think it's important to mention. Stephen Thomas here, local to Orange County, where we are, more or less an expert on California economics and housing. Did a video with him last week talking about the housing market. Check that out. We also talked to Logan Matashami from Housing Wire giving a forecast. We've talked to Matt Graham of EBS Live, another forecast to check out, as well as Barry Habib. And Barry does what he always does too and, and talks about rates and, and prices. But all of it's good information, important to listen and to understand why they believe things are going to happen. So you can do that by checking out the videos. We'll put a link to each one of them in the description of the video. But Josh, any final words for those listening with regards to the 2024 housing market? No, it projects to be more of the same with some slight improvement, as we talked about in terms of lower interest rates, higher wages for most people. And that can be triggering for some people when they hear it. Uh, but the reality is the households that are considering buying a home, 
they're skilled and or educated, they're working good jobs, they're making good money, they are getting married, they're having children, they want a roof over their heads that they own and can call their own. So those trends that have been in place for 70, 80 years are not going to change. People are people, they want to buy homes, we're gonna see a slightly better market for people to enter than in 2022. It is not what our friend Logan would call savagely unhealthy, it's a little better than that. So do your research, figure out your own beliefs, your own opinions, get some awesome, trusted, expert advisors that can help you on the mortgage side, that can help you on the real estate side and make the right decision for you and your family at the right time in your life. All right, guys, until then, buy right, borrow smart, build wealth. Adios, amigos. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.